Welcome to Laugh It Up Fuzzball. I am Joe the Wookie Riot. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about life, the universe, and everything, but mostly geek stuff. A place where we get to let our geek flag fly and talk about all things geek. As I've said before, this isn't an amalgamation of geek news or a comprehensive guide to all genres or the world of geekdom. Hopefully it's just a fun place to cover some geek news, comics, The Simpsons, Star Wars, and whatever randomness finds its way on in the recording. But let us get started. Well, hey, hey, friends. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, uh, level 134, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's actually uh, Saturday and I'm doing some recording and this should be up today. And if not today, it depends on when I get done recording versus when I have to be at work. But it'll either be up today or tomorrow, tomorrow meaning Sunday. And uh, welcome, welcome. This, uh, this podcast... Interestingly enough, brought to you by a new sponsor, brought to you by gout. That's right. Gout occurs in about 4% of American adults, 6 million men, 2 million women, present company included, first identified by the Egyptians in 2640 BC. Uh, In a description of arthritis of the big toe, Podagra was later recognized by Hippocrates in the 5th century in his aphorisms and is referred to as the unwalkable disease. Uh, He also noted his absence in certain people like eunuchs and premenopausal women, which I am neither of those. So yeah, gout. Alias Cornelius Celsus in 30 AD described its language with alcohol. The term gout is derived from the Latin word gutta or drop and referred to the prevailing medical or medieval medical belief that an excess of one of the four humors, which is an equilibrium uh, thought to maintain health, would uh, basically uh, drop or flow into a joint, causing pain and inflammation. And throughout history, gout has been associated with rich foods and excessive alcohol consumption. Uh, it is clearly associated with a lifestyle that, at least in the past, could only be afforded by the affluent. So, gout has been referred to as the disease of kings. So, all hail the fuzzy king, the Wookiee with his gout. Um, there is evidence that colchicine, an alkaloid derived from the autumn crocus, was used as a powerful purgative in ancient Greece about 2,000 years ago or so. But uh, the use of that medicine as a selective and specific treatment was attributed to the Byzantine Christian physician Alexander of Trails in the 6th century AD. Um, There were different agents used in the 19th century, but uh, the term gout was first used initially by Randolphus of Bocking around 1200 AD. 1683, you get Thomas Sindenham, an English physician, describing its occurrence in the early hours of the morning. Dutch scientist Antony von Leeuwenhoek first described the microscopic appearance of urate crystals in 1679, which is what causes the problems. Then you go to 1848. English physician Alfred Baring Garrett identifies excess uric acid in the blood as the cause of gout. And uh, lots of famous people have had it. How about uh, besides Joe the Wookiee, right? You got Henry VIII. Ben Franklin, Sir Isaac Newton, Ansel Adams, James Belushi, Ludwig von Beethoven, Charles Dickens, John Hancock, Nostradamus, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Luciano Pavarotti, Leonardo da Vinci, Jared Leto. That's right, gout. It hurts, and uh, it gave me extra time to catch up on geeky things, which is why you get a little history lesson about it. I do not recommend it, but it does happen for a quote-unquote lucky few and uh, now back to the podcast. That's a sponsor. I guess I should mention our other unofficial sponsor, the Carry On Couple Podcast. Follow Ryan and Katrina as they help you become adventurous travelers. All the reasons you can't do it or help with planning, they're here for you. And also really just fun to listen to. Uh, really check the podcast out. 
It is uh, nice that they plug my podcast on their shows. So this is a case of friends helping friends. And uh, some of you may remember these Harry Potter fans from a couple episodes of the show. I have had Ryan on three episodes and his lovely wife Katrina did join on another one. Uh, Someday I may be on theirs too. But carry on my wayward nerds and check out the Carry On Couple podcast. A official sponsor of the Laugh It Up Fuzzball podcast. But but that's enough. Let's let's get into the stuff. Prepare yourself for a long episode. For as long as my voice will hold out. Although my voice isn't like wearing out, but I mean, yeah, it's gonna be gonna be long. You got a short like forty minutes something earlier in the week, and I promised you were gonna get the full shebang and here you go. Shebang, 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 shaboom, bang, bang, bang. We'll start off with some uh, Star Wars news, let the Wookiee win. I think I just wanted to name drop. Actually, I'm excited, although I probably won't get a chance to read it until the summer. I did pick up Queen's Shadow, the Padme Amidala book that came out this March. And just there's lots of Star Wars books coming out. Uh, Master and Apprentice in April, which is Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. Alphabet Squadron in June. Uh, it's a whole squadron of different different uh, ships. So X-Wing, Y-Wing, you know, A-Wing, Alphabet Soup, Alphabet Squadron. Uh, Thrawn Treason, which is the third movie in the new Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. Uh, Crash of Fate in August. Black Spire Outpost in September. Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, also in September. So lots of books coming out. If you like to read, like to open up the books, or maybe even listen to an audiobook, these are all Star Wars books coming for you. What other Star Wars news we got? We got Lucasfilm apparently preparing production on a new movie and a TV show. Uh, this is based off uncovered trademarks registered in October of last year from uh, the source Bantha Tracks. They uncovered uh, a couple productions. The first one, reportedly for television, referred to Series 3 Productions UK Limited. Uh, the second one is E&E Industries UK Limited. They say that represents a movie. What this all means is, who knows, but Lucasfilm. But it does, does mean they uh, registered trademarks for other things besides what we already know is coming out. So besides the Cassio Randon's Andor series, besides The Mandalorian, besides, uh, or maybe it could actually say the movie might be the Benioff and Weiss. They have the Game of Thrones, their movie. We shall see. But none of them are tied to movies that were canceled. I, I guess that is the big point of it. Uh, and other Star Wars news you may have seen on Laugh It Up Fuzzballs. There was uh, a five-minute Star Wars trailer that was uh, thrown out there into the, the universe by Topher Grace. And uh, it's it's good. You can check it out there on uh, Laugh It Up Fuzzballs or just look up uh, Topher Grace Star Wars trailer if you want. Really enjoyable. About five minutes of your time. And uh, yeah, took a, cuts together all the movies. And uh, it's, it's a good watch. It's a good, quick, fun watch. I, I highly recommend it. We got lots and lots and lots of Star Wars Galaxy Edge details over the last couple weeks. Um, plus the official opening date, May 31st. Uh, all the all the info dump, you get some information about the rides. You get animatronic characters, not just one, but several. Uh, food and beverages. You want some blue milk, you want some green milk, you want some Star Wars cocktails. If you want, if you want to drink something that Padme Amidala herself drank, in a in a Thrawn book, it, it's gonna be there, friends. You can, you can live your fiction. That's what you can do. Um, lots of lots of clever names for for the different foods. You're not eating chicken. You're not eating pork. You're you're eating you're eating creatures that you may have loved from the Star Wars uh, Star Wars galaxy. You really might if you if you like those funny butt cows from uh, Episode Two, or if you hated them, well, you get to eat them. You get to eat the butt cows, uh, and, and lots more. Other they have merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. Galaxy's Edge, the flamethrower. 
lots of lots of news for different things you want to make a droid you can make a droid you want to build a lightsaber you can build a lightsaber you want to wear semi-authentic star wars threads they're gonna sell them there uh but it's you're not gonna have a mickey shop there it's gonna be all star wars um what else they uh a new TIE fighter revealed uh, uh, red stormtroopers from the 509th red fury and regular stormtroopers and man it's gonna be crazy the opening day is gonna surely be freaking wild and packed and any people hoping in to visit a galaxy far far away should expect Disneyland to be crazy also important note that for the first month or two I think it's until uh, May 31st to June 23rd but I might have those dates wrong you're gonna have to go online make a free reservation just to get into into the the land galaxy's edge um, and then the second attraction, the Rise of the Resistance attraction, isn't going to be opening with the land on May 31st. It'll be opening later. Uh, still waiting on official official news of when that will be. But a, a little birdie did tell me maybe maybe July August time frame, but that's not official. That's just uh, I live in Southern California, so you hear things. Uh, this is still exciting news, except for all the poor souls who will be working there while greedy globetrotters participate in their very own choose-your-own-adventure Star Wars experience. I live close to Disneyland, so here's hoping for my own experience in the near future. But man, I feel bad for those cast members that are going to be there. May the Force be with you. Uh, other Star Wars news via Twitter, industry veteran video game writer Chris Avalone from Knights of the Old Republic 2. That's right. KOTOR 2 confirmed his involvement in Respawn Entertainment's upcoming Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. That is due to release uh, this autumn in 2019. And uh, he did say that he spent the better part of 11 months providing story work, story and character reviews, cinematic scripts for the game. And then uh, did tease a big information drop in a month or so for what he is currently working on, which he's not even say. So maybe there's even another Star Wars game coming. That is exciting Star Wars news. And then just in me like wondering, I was watching that Star Wars Resistance show and I noticed that uh, Bucket is a really fun droid on uh, Star Wars Resistance, is credited as himself. And it just it got me thinking, like, who plays Bucket? Like, uh, you know, if you watch Rebels, I guess, I guess, spoiler, but it was revealed in the very last episode the entire time. Chopper was uh, voiced by Dave Filoni, the creator of that show. And, uh, I'm wondering, is, is Dave Filoni Bucket, or are we going to find an, another clip? Is it George Lucas, you know, who who does the voice of Chopper? <laughs> you know, those droids, they make the funny noises. But uh, it just said, I don't know, it was just, just a little thought on my head. So I figured I'd throw it here into the Star Wars news. But we're going to move away from that, get into Flavor of the Geek, where we talk about all the, the geeky flavors from the week or so to talk about. And to start it all off... Captain Marvel. Man, alive, friends. Captain Marvel is officially a thing. It came out. It's a movie. And I seen it. I saw it just last night with uh, with my beautiful love, Heather. And I. this is non-spoilers. Don't worry. I'm not going to spoil anything other than to tell you that Captain Marvel is is in the movie. Uh, man, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a wonderful movie. Uh, me and Heather talked about all sorts of stuff. If you are a, a child of the 90s or if the 90s hold a, a fun place in your heart, this uh, this is a movie that, that is going to uh, going to hit you right there in the nostalgic feels. And uh, lots of people are enjoying it. As, as of right now, I think uh, I just looked up Box Office Mojo like five minutes ago. 
or five minutes ago, whenever I started recording us. So we've been recording for about 10 minutes, so like 12 minutes ago. $188.3 million worldwide. And that's, that's, I'm talking to you on Saturday. Saturday, friends. This is uh, as of yesterday. Holy gamoly, it has made lots of money in domestic. Just through Friday, it was like $61.3 million. Way to go. And like, I know this movie is going to make tons of money because just. My, my local theater where I, I tend to go see, it's uh, it's one of those theaters that it, it's been around since it opened. It revitalized the mall. It's by the Buena Park Mall, if you guys are wondering. But uh, sometimes you're like, how does this how does this movie theater, how does this mall stay open? I, I never see it, like, crazy crowded. But they had Captain Marvel movies every 15 minutes. Holy wow. And they don't normally do that for movies. So they are, they are expecting quite a few people going to it. And, uh, man alive, it... It was a good movie. I'm trying to think of how you can even like talk about Captain Marvel without without spoiling things. Brie Larson, I really enjoyed enjoyed seeing her. Uh, what else? Um, you know, it's refreshing to see a woman uh, or a, a female led superhero movie where the point of the movie is not about her falling in love. Yeah, it's it's not about her falling in love. It is actually just about her being kick-ass. It is about her relationship with her friend Maria Rambo. It is uh, it is about what's going on with her, why she can't remember her past, what that means for her future. It is about the Kree and the Scroll War. Um, what else? Uh, it's uh, Nick Fury is amazing in the in the thing they do do the de aging technology for. For Nick Fury and for Clark Gregg as uh, as Agent Coulson, and uh, it, it's good, especially with Nick Fury. It's really it's really incredible. Uh, what else? Um, <laughs> Goose the cat is is lovely. Uh, definitely, I want I I enjoyed that a bunch. Um, I do. I think this is great how they found a way to make a movie in the '90s with everything that happens after, but it it doesn't mess up anything for the future movies at, that I can think of right off the top of my head after one view and and being so recent off of it. Um, but it does add. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, that fits right into the mythology, including like everything going on with the. Uh, with uh, Thanos and, and Infinity War and uh, Captain Marvel kicks ass. The third act is just full tilt action, amazingness, and um, and wonderful. And then the soundtrack is is lots of great great '90s movies, and and uh, yeah, it it just it's it's worth seeing. Go see it. And I I think I'm really really excited that this movie exists. For not just uh, not just for women and not just for men, but really, I think I think it will actually mean something for people waiting for the for the Marvel female-led superhero. Uh, I think uh, I think if you're a cat person, you're gonna love this movie. I think there's magnificent uh, movie moment, music moments. Uh, I, I I really liked Carol Danvers' hero moments, uh, and uh, I am excited to see what what her her introduction brings to uh into Endgame into Avengers Endgame. I think uh, I think the movie was just really really good. Both me and Heather left and we liked it. And as far as I know, Danny really really liked it too. And Danny is a bit of a cynic, so if he didn't tear it apart and was just like good movie, yeah, he uh it, it's it's really really enjoyable. I think uh, all of the actors involved, Ben Mendelsohn as Talos, man, he was he was really really good. And then uh, you get you get a bunch more Cree uh, um, 
what else? Uh, huh. Uh, yes, uh, Ronan the Accuser is in it. And uh, yes, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, the other guy who was in the original Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but he's in it too. Um, friends, go see Captain Marvel. It is it is great. If uh, if you like if you like superheroes that are super strong, uh, you this you're not going to be disappointed here. Uh, if you like the idea of the United States Air Force being a central player and uh, and heroic in uh, in a movie. This is not gonna disappoint. Uh, if you if you like a movie that will subvert uh, some gender norms and 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 actually maybe poke fun at the why don't you smile more? Do you know why it's called a cockpit? Stuff like that. Like this movie is going to have all of that for you, including Annette Benning, who I really enjoyed in the movie, and I already said Ben Mendelsohn. Man, I really really liked it. It's uh I think the oh, I can't think of the character's name, but it's Jamon Hansu who plays him. It was it was good to see him back, and uh, yeah yeah and Jude Law man Jude Law looking Jude Lawish he doesn't age I don't think uh, so good for him but higher further faster friends this uh, this movie it, it 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 my my I had expectations and it hit them higher I uh, I thought it would go a certain length and it went further and uh, in the third act it is much faster. Than, uh, than some other third acts of other movies. And I, I can't wait for you know several weeks to go by once everybody's seen it and actually talk about it in detail and talk about some actual moments. But check out the movie. Oh, wow. Wow. It is good. And I guess uh, that just means we'll transition into some movies that aren't out, but movies that have trailers and are coming in the future. Uh, so we'll head on down to the trailer park. Yeah, yeah. Yep, you and me. Joe the Wookie riding you coming on up in the trailer park talking about damn dabgum trailers. Uh, I There was a new trailer for Lion King. If you've been itching for the opening sequence seen way back at Comic-Con, well, here you go. They finally released it for us. I've been excited for this movie. Uh, since I heard about it, I saw the first the original trailer that had come out. It was actually before Captain Marvel. Me and Heather were both excited. So July 19th, friends. This movie by Johnny Favs, John Favreau, should be a lot of fun. Uh, there's a new trailer for Pokemon Detective Pikachu. I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about this movie, I thought it was a dumb idea. And now uh, two trailers in, I cannot wait to see this movie. looks fun. And uh, I'm not even really into the Pokemon's friends. I laughed for the jokes. has action and silliness. And it comes out May 10th or thereabouts. Uh, or actually, it comes out on May 10th. But somewhere around there, I'll, I'll see it. Hopefully in the theaters. But uh, yeah, it... It looks fun. Ryan Reynolds voicing Pikachu. Pika Pika. Or or, or Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> uh, Dark Phoenix has a new trailer. This trailer was actually uh, put up in front of Captain Marvel as well. And all I will say is it is full of spoilers. It is like a comic issue teasing exactly what you will find within its pages. And uh, I was like, wow, they're just going to throw that out there. Uh, but besides that, I'm not really sure what we're going to get with this movie. Uh, but I have seen all the other X-Men movies. And... Uh, you know, I sort of feel bad about that since Brian Singer was involved in so many of them. But Brian Singer is not involved in this one, and I have seen all the other ones. So they, they have my money come June 7th. This is the final non-Disney Fox X-Men flick. So let's all go to outer space and see Jean Grey wreck shop as the Dark Phoenix. Um, it is also funny to me. I've seen some people posted pictures. This, I'm thinking of a, a Jen of, uh, <laughs> of Magneto and, and Professor X in this movie and how much they would have to age in a very short amount of time to get to the original X-Men movie. And it's funny and weird. Uh, it's worth checking out. 
anywho, this movie may be a giant train wreck, but I just can't look away. I'm I'm going to watch uh, whether it's good or whether it's bad. There was a new trailer for Shazam, aka the other Captain Marvel movie for all you comic nerds. We get more scenes of Captain Sparkle Fingers being a 15-year-old with sudden superpowers, fighting Savannah, figuring out how to be the hero. Also a cameo by another superhero that I'll keep secret. It is a really good trailer and I'm stoked for this zany DC movie coming our way in a few weeks on April 5th. It, it looks to be really good stuff. Also a new trailer for Hellboy. This movie promises to raise some hell, and the trailer is freaking fun and full of monsters. Lots of shots of the Blood Queen, uh, played wonderfully, it looks like, by Mia Jovovich. Uh, David Harbour rocking his time as Hellboy, and then, yes, friends, a dragon. Uh, it looks fun. I really want to see it. This is a, another good trailer, and it is a much better trailer than the first one. April 12th is close, so we do not have long to wait for this movie. And I wonder if this uh, this flick is going to be capable of eating into some of the success of Shazam, since that comes out the week before. And when this movie comes out, you know, sometimes it's not good when you have uh, your movie and you make lots of money, and then another good movie comes out and you just don't make as much because it divides your audience. There was a new trailer, not for a movie, for Game of Thrones Season 8. We did finally get a trailer for the eighth and final season. You can find that on Laugh It Up Fuzzballs. For fear that Danny will rebel and never record another episode with me, I'm going to keep mum about the details of it because uh, apparently the deuce don't do trailers. Uh, I enjoyed it though. Uh, I'm ready for the show, which graces HBO starting on April 14th. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good trailer. Check it out. It's on Laugh It Up Fuzzballs or look it up online. And the last trailer in this big old visitation, seeing our aunties and uncles and the piglets here in the trailer park is Brightburn. Now, friends, I don't really do horror movies, but man alive. Do I want to see this film on May 24th? Superman is, has always been a superhero that I've really enjoyed. And uh, and Superman is who he's supposed to be because of his loving parents. Uh, but, what, but what if his parents weren't so loving? What if he was bullied? What if he lived among people not as awesome as the citizens of Smallville? Well, here is where we could find out. And in this film, written by James Gunn and his brother, uh, it, we, we get dark superman and uh super super scary super kid i am so ready for this but that is a, that is enough trailers my friends let's get into some news huh news um how to train your dragon did uh debut the third movie in the franchise it did beat the box office of the previous two with 55 million in its opening week but um with that being said it's at 384 mil worldwide as of this recording and the second movie made 621.5 and the first movie made uh 495.8 so i don't I don't know. It looks like actually, like money-wise, it'll probably make as much as the first movie. And uh, oh, okay, cool beans. Usually, it's the first movie makes lots, then the second movie takes a dip, and then the third movie makes a ton. But we'll we'll see how it all shakes out. From uh, everybody that I've talked to, it's a really good movie. I haven't seen it though, so I don't even. I think I might have seen the second one, but I'm not even sure. Not even sure. I certainly saw the first one. I think it's a really good movie with a really good score. But uh, it just, I don't know, it was just fun, fun DreamWorks dragon movies. <laughs> I never i never got crazy into the mythology of it. And maybe just because I was older when it came out. Uh, superhero Oscars. Yeah, the Oscars were a couple weeks ago. And uh, and we got what we needed. Uh, other Black Panther didn't win Best Picture, but I don't think that really was going to happen. But Into the Spider-Verse. Verse? Spider-Verse did win uh, Best Animated Film. And uh, Black Panther did take home three Academy Awards. So, and those are those are Marvel's uh, 
a first Academy Awards, as I understand it, and it was for uh, set design and uh, costume design, which is the one I was like, if it doesn't doesn't win costume design, then then it's it's totally totally bunk. But yeah, best production design, best costume design, and best original music score for Ludwig Göransson. So uh, yeah, yeah, it, it did pretty good for itself. Uh, and I, I think it would have been rad if it won Best Picture, but uh, you know, it uh, it didn't, and that's okay. But you know, it's good to good to see these movies getting a little little bit of love, getting a little bit of love. So uh, yeah, yeah, it uh, it's good stuff. But uh, what else do we got? We have uh, Marvel's Eternals movie. Apparently, that is a movie coming out. It might be an epic. That spans tens of thousands of years, according to Kevin Feige. So yeah, who knows where we're gonna get? The Eternals are tied into to some of the details for Thanos, so we shall just see. But you know, friends, keep your eyes out, cause you know, even if you may not know a lot about the Eternals, I'll admit I'm someone who doesn't know that much about it. There was a time where people didn't know that much about the Guardians of the Galaxy, and then they made an amazing movie that everybody loved. So uh, prepare yourself, prepare yourself for for another good movie. Um, we got, oh, Rotten Tomatoes is uh, not allowing fan comments or reviews before movie releases anymore. A lot of people think this, uh, finally the last straw was Captain Marvel, a lot of trolls going online and, uh, and, and, and bashing the movie before, <laughs> before it ever even existed, you know, saying it was the worst movie ever. And, uh, I don't, I don't know that, you know, this fixes the situation per se, because uh, apparently Captain Marvel has one of the lowest audience scores ever because they just waited till the movie came out before they bashed it. Um, but, you know, these scores aren't everything. The tomato meter for Captain Marvel is like 79% and the audience score is like 53%. Go see the movie and make your uh, make your own opinion. I, uh, I would definitely rank Captain Marvel higher than both of those scores, but that's just me. That's just me. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, so Rotten Tomatoes, maybe maybe that'll that'll fix it a little bit. But you know, trolls are always gonna find ways to come out from under their bridges. So it is what it is. We've got a Aquaman star, Yahya Abdul-Mateen II, who you would know as uh, Black Manta, uh, going to be the lead in Jordan Peele's Candyman sequel. Uh, so he will be the big bad in the spiritual sequel to the 1992 film, and good for him. Good for him. I, I thought he was fine as, as Black Manta, and uh, I think that'll be interesting, them them doing a, a remake of sorts for Candyman, but like a spiritual sequel, like just keeping it going. Uh, there is, I didn't mention this with all the, the trailers, but there is a Joker teaser trailer on YouTube. It came out on March 1st from Smasher. Uh, I don't actually know where all the footage came from, but it's a really good trailer. So, uh so check check it out if you uh, if you're so inclined, I I'm sure we'll actually get a real trailer at some point. But yeah, I thought I thought they did a good job. I enjoyed it. Uh, Aquaman two has gone an official release date, 16 December 2021. I feel like I've already talked about that when I talked about in the trench on a previous episode. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. Uh, Zach Levi doing his own real life superheroing has gone online and told trolls to stop asking them to stop pitting Shazam against Captain Marvel and saying how much he's looking forward to the movie. So yay for Zach Levi. 
Uh, I wonder I wonder what the DC suits thought about that. They're like, just let it happen. <laughs> but uh, that's cool. I think uh, I think you know up up in Hollywood, all these actors have to be friends. And Zach Levi is a is a huge nerd, uh, and and done panels and stuff like that before he got his turn to play Shazam. So yeah, good for him. Way to go, way to go, Mr. Levi. Um, what else we got? Oh, uh, if you are a fan of the comic Old Guard by uh, Greg Rucka and Fernandez. It is coming to Netflix. So uh, prepare yourself. Curge your loins. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's coming. And uh, all every every reasonably good comic of, uh, of, of note is going to be optioned in some way because this is, this is the, the uh, amazing. And lots of, lots of image comics are certainly going going to be there but you know Leandro Fernandez and Greg Rucka uh it's it's cool it's an interesting story it's, you know old soldiers who never die but they can't fade away they're trapped uh, as immortals and then uh and then all of a sudden there's a, a new immortal shows up I think I've actually talked about this now that I think about it on another episode but it's coming to Netflix and you know Netflix has uh, has other shows that are good, and uh, they're they're doing their part. You know, they're not connected to Marvel anymore, so they still still want to have comic properties. So good for them. This is how they're going to be doing it. Uh, let's see. Oh, the if you're wondering what the uh, MCU slate um, is going to be, like what what movies are we going to get after after uh, Endgame and after Spider Man Far From Home? Well, uh, you're not going to find out what that is until after Spider-Man Far From Home comes out. They've said it, so we'll just we'll just wait. Spider-Man Far From Home comes out in July, so sometime after July, after that 4th of July weekend, we will get a slate or at least some of the movies that are coming up next. So good. Uh, in other news, Eminem apparently jumped onto the Twitters and to the social media to show support for the Punisher and John Barenthal thanked Eminem for doing so. So, so there you go. Go on Twitter and see all the things that were said if you want. Uh, and then, and that's an example of you know Twitter being good. There's always examples of of Twitter and social media being bad. Apparently, the current writer for Venom, Donny Cates, is receiving death threats because nerds aren't happy with whatever he's doing with Venom. Jeez, guys, stop being fucks. Like, seriously, come on. Like, oh, just because you don't like something doesn't doesn't ever. Like, a death threat is never okay. Never. Never okay. And it's just sometimes I see the way, like, the, the, way the geek world is, and I'm just like, fudge. Like, come on. Be better. Be better. Man. Uh, we got news. Uh, you know, I talked about Black Widow being R-rated. Apparently, that's not a thing. It is not going to be R-rated, but uh, don't, you know, if uh, if you want an R-rated movie, the Hellboy movie that comes out uh, this uh, this April uh, will be. So there you go. There you go. And, uh, you know, I sort of was surprised when I heard that, that I was excited, but, you know, the idea of, of them doing an R-rated Black Widow movie and then some people saying, like, then they could blame Black Widow if it, if it doesn't do well. You know, blame it on the woman. Like, oh, well, we tried with a with a lady movie and it didn't work out, and that that sort of rubbed me wrong. Um, I'm sure there's a way you can do the Black Widow movie without it being crazy R rated. There's, it's amazing how much violence you can you can show in a movie without getting that R rating. Just watch uh, when they did the PG-13 version of Deadpool 2. It was it was pretty pretty amazing how much they could show 
what they could get away with without the actual R. It's not the 1980s anymore. We can get away with a lot more. Uh, we have news of Luke Wilson being cast in Zombieland 2. So if you were excited for for that next movie, as I am, yeah, we're, it's going to be fun. I, I really love that it's a Zombieland double tap. It's a, a really clever way to do the sequel. And uh, yeah, I, I can't I can't wait to see the movie. You know, ten years later, more, uh, it'll be fun. There's news that a future DC films are going to be less connected. I think we already knew that. So don't don't look for the crazy interconnected universe. You know that it's worked for Marvel, but uh, DC has has tried to do it and it hasn't worked exactly to their liking so now they're just gonna make whatever they want and good for them that'll be fine um we got kevin feige saying that uh disney plus marvel shows will be a significant part of the mcu and good as as they should be because uh yeah yeah why not why why just make throwaway shows that it, it that makes sense you know even agents of shield has been tied into some of the stuff in the mcu so I dig it. Uh, if you're wondering upcoming shows, just uh, The Boys is coming out on Hulu. Uh, and then The Tick Season 2 on April 5th. And Happy Season 2 on Sci-Fi March 25th. So, yeah. Yeah, lots of lots of new shows that I don't have time to watch coming out. <laughs> yay for me and yay for you if you have the time. Um what else? Oh, so Brie Larson held Sam Jackson's lightsaber in an interview, apparently cried, and then said she wants to be a Jedi. And now that I, I just read that statement that I typed down, that sounds much dirtier than it actually was. But uh, Brie Larson and Sam Jackson, you can tell by uh, their interactions in the Captain Marvel, Marvel movie, have, have formed a, a sort of fr- relationship, friendship. And on, on May the 5th, when they were filming uh, Captain Marvel, Sam Jackson brought Qui-Gon, or not, brought Mace Windu's lightsaber to the set. And, uh, and, and Brie Larson really, really enjoyed getting a chance to hold that piece of movie history. And uh, she wants to be a Jedi. But who doesn't? Everybody wants to be a Jedi. But Brie Larson, you're working for, for big Disney now. So if anybody has a chance to do it, it'll be you. In other news, Arrow on the DCW, this is from a tweet from uh, Stephen Amell, will apparently have a final run of 10 episodes in the fall. So Arrow is officially going to be ending. We have the season that's going on right now. And then uh, in the fall, I believe that's the eighth season, 10 episodes, and it'll be over. But you know what? As, as, as Stephen Amell said, you can't be a vigilante forever. You're right. You can't. You've been doing this probably for almost a decade now. And uh, and and some there's lots of other shows. The Batgirl show's coming up. And how many how many of these superhero shows can they have on the DCW? And Arrow did start it all, but uh, this lets me know they're like ten episodes. They get to finish it how they want. And yeah, hopefully it'll be really really good. Uh, we got some news for James Gunn's Suicide Squad sequel. Apparently Will Smith will not be returning to play Deadshot. But don't cry because Idris Elba is being eyed to replace him. What from one from one good actor to an even better actor? Uh, also, a reveal of characters that'll be joining Deadshot and Harley Quinn, Ratcatcher, Polka Dot Man, King Shark, and Peacemaker. With a rumor of Batista being eyed for that role, sources say Gunn's movie is going to draw heavily from the John Ostrander and Kim Yell 1980s run rather than anything after New 52. And yeah, this just to me says James Gunn is finding us uh, finding some deep pull. Uh, villains 
and like yeah I'm, I'm gonna make my my guardians of the galaxy for the dc universe and uh it's gonna be lovely and hopefully it is uh if you didn't hear hulu is going to have an Anne rice vampire tv show begin shooting this september and Anne rice says it uh it'll begin as an adaptation of her book the vampire Lestat, which is the second book in the vampire chronicles and who knows where it will go for there because you know the entire vampire chronicles is crossed over with the mayfair witches stuff and uh lots of lots of goodness that could happen so uh yeah i think i think this could be fun uh, when i when i was a kid and even today i love 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 those Anne rice books and uh yeah i i hope they do a really good job Anne rice and her son are are heavily involved in the show so cool good news uh, we did, or we, I'm talking like the Queen of England again, but talked about, you know, all the Marvel animated shows that are going to be coming out. And, uh, yeah, uh, the one with MODOK, you know, uh, it, it's with involving Patton Oswalt. We've gotten more details. Patton Oswalt is going to be voicing MODOK as well as writing the show. So if you were wondering what his involvement was, there you go. Uh, Brian K. Vaughn, he of the amazing saga and Why the Last Man and more, is reported to be writing Legendary's live-action Gundam movie. So uh, for all you Gundam fans out there, rejoice. Rejoice because uh, Brian K. Vaughn is reporting to be writing that, sh that. And he's a great writer, so good news. And then just the last little bit, the Disney Plus uh, streaming service is uh, reported to be coming with the entire library of uh, Disney movies. So if there, who knows what that means? Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, the entire library of Disney movies. So no more this movies being released from the vault. Just you pay, you pay the subscription service for Disney Plus. You get access to all that. Does that mean you'll get Song of the South? Stop being a racist. But maybe. Uh, you could you could get the living desert you could get all of um, all of the animal documentaries the stuff you know that inspired the world famous jungle cruise at Disneyland uh, yeah yeah <laughs> lots of Disney movies oh my goodness you could get the parent trap and uh, old herbie and and just so so much uh, so much to just lock yourself away and grow to a giant gelatinous gelatinous blob while you while you relive your childhood and all those movies that you spent a lot of your time already sitting on a couch watching or sitting in a movie theater watching and uh i i'm not gonna lie i'm excited i think uh i think that's really really good news yeah uh eventually i mean i guess if it's like ten dollars a month so you know when you buy a disney movie you're paying twenty dollars and you probably buy two in the year so it's like forty dollars so it's probably like smarter like money business from like disney side just getting you to do that subscription fee but then they're going to give you all the great new stuff the star wars shows you know and the marvel shows and and whatever else that they come out with for the series uh it'll be good they have my money i'm in for a penny and for a pound but that that's all the the news to talk about i guess uh wow we're already 40 minutes in but friends buckle up it's going to be a long episode there's at least some television that i need to catch up before we can wrap up so we're going to be doing a uh uh, super-sized, small-screen Star Wars sci-fi superhero synopsis. Uh, starting off with just a quick little non-spoiler review of Umbrella Academy on uh, the Netflix. Man, I, I really, really uh, in, enjoyed this uh, this uh, show. 
it uh all the the characters are zany and wild and you know the entire premise of of once upon a time you know all these all these kiddos were born and uh to moms who didn't even know they were pregnant when they woke up that morning and and the professor takes uh takes seven of them and uh and raises them to be superheroes and uh you know this is all based on a comic written and created by gerard way uh, illustrated by Gabriel Ba. Uh, the, I think the first series was actually just a six-issue limited series, but uh, it was on Dark Horse Comics, and uh, just it's crazy. It involves time travel and 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 teleporting and uh, talking monkeys. <laughs> I was actually talking gorilla. I'm like, I want to say monkey, but they're apes. Member of the great ape family, completely different than monkeys. Uh, you know, Sir Reginald Hargreaves brings together all of all of these kids but you know let's not forget there were 43 babies born that day and these are only seven of them but uh space boy is luther um diego throws knives he's called the kraken allison the rumor she can make people do what she wants uh klaus who is the seance klaus is the the the, the runaway character who really steals the show is so good uh, number five and then uh, ben who is the horror and there's really interesting stuff for Ben. And then Vanya, Vanya Hargraves, who has no powers whatsoever. But, um, you know, it's just, it's really, really interesting. They're all brought together by uh, by the death of their their father, so to speak, Dr. Reginald Hargraves. That's not really a spoiler since it's right there in the first episode. But uh, but then things go down and there's, uh, there's uh, you know, all sorts of, of relational inner rivalry for all of the the supers and uh there is journeys into the afterlife and with dead characters and there are assassins after them and a mysterious organization that controls time and and it's just it's really really good it's uh incredibly enjoyable i actually wondered because there really isn't that much uh source material to to use but they they find a way to to take that and uh, and make a, a really really enjoyable show, um, I think I, th- I think it was fun. I, th- I think I think it was uh, really really fun. Some of the stuff that they do with time travel is just incredible, and uh, the dialogue was was witty. Like I said, I really enjoyed the Klaus character. I also enjoyed Number Five quite a bit. I thought uh, I thought his his stuff was really really fun. And uh, yeah, yeah, check out the Umbrella Academy. I guess uh, I guess I could spo- do a spoiler review later at some point. But uh, yeah, it, it's really enjoyable. It's on Netflix now. You can check it out. Yeah, and I even with grad school, I was able to finish it up over like two weeks, just like watching an episode here and there. Now to Deadly Class Season 1, Episode 4. You know, I, I gave you that entire uh, gout history lesson at the beginning. The, the main point is I literally got like three extra days off of work where I just couldn't even concentrate on schoolwork because my foot hurt so bad. So what I did was I caught up on all the television that I watch. And that's that's the true – that's why this is sponsored by Gout. You get, you get Wookie catching up on television for you because – because of gout that's why there is a picture of a devil biting a foot on on this so deadly class season one episode four mirror people heck yeah for deadly class friends i really dig this show and uh like i said found time courtesy of previously discussed sponsored gout uh, to not only catch up with the show but actually read uh all the issues of the comic but i'm not going to talk about all those issues here on this podcast uh, i sort of wish i had not 
read all the comics since a bunch of what's what goes down in the comics is probably what goes down in the season uh, it is not a complete loss though since i still got to enjoy the heck out of this sci-fi channel game which adapts the radical story by rick remender and wes craig so wonderfully this episode is all about tragic backstories uh and the and family for the latter we get more for petra straight from the pages of the comic and animated wonderfully also just wish they'd animate the comic in full but then we wouldn't get this great show if you like the movie the breakfast club this episode will delight you but other than teenage assassin students locked up for detention that is where the parallels end um there's also nods to ricky business and robocop Ricky bi- risky business and Robocop, but I don't want to digress. We learn more for Saya in the form of deadly cousin monsters hell-bent on kidnapping her, willing to kill any detention student in the Japanese masked men's way. Lin gets more backstory, which adds to his mystery. Then there's just rad fight scenes for Marcus, Saya, and Lin in the diner, which hides the entrance to King's Dominion. Also some stuff for Billy and his asshat corrupt cop family-beating father. And moments for Maria and Willie. It's all delightful and violent and very 80s. And while some may disagree, I, I think the show finds a way to take the comic book and uh, and do some things better. It cannot hurt to have Remender and Craig on the writing staff. That's all I'm saying. Episode 5, Sadade. So this is the episode that is basically issues 4 through 6 of the comic brought to life. And it is so damn lovely. I wondered how the source... Uh, material could be adapted by the show with all the LSD trippiness and and somehow stay true to the comic but that that is what they not only do but they do I think make it even better there's just something lovely about seeing it in live action Marcus Willie Maria Sai and Billy are off to Las Vegas on a mission to kill Billy's abusive father and along the way they encounter deadheads and hippies uh, which scores them LSD and uh, overdosed on seven tabs Marcus, who then trips his brain off in Vegas. Add to that scarred faced nemesis from Marcus's past and Chico jealously following his girlfriend. Everything goes super violent and crazy with a big surprise ending. Hell to the yeah, friends, this is good. And I did not think the show would go this way so soon. But then again, uh, at the point I saw this episode, I'd only read the first six issues of Deadly Class. Once you read more, you can see that there's a ton more that can be placed in the season. Uh, and, I, and there's a certain way that I expect it to go, but we shall see. Episode 6, Stigmata Martyr. Uh, the ramifications of the Vegas misadventure set the tone for this whole episode. The comic store Lost Innocence finally makes an appearance, as well as an animation of Maria's backstory. In the comic store, we meet a new character in Gabriel that, that, that makes me hoot when uh, she names drops Alan Moore. And then there's Willie talking about Lex Luthor and Superman, which somehow connects to events from the show so far. There's the addition of uh, Master Gao in the show, who is deeply connected to Master Lin. Then there's just little moments like Billy's zaniness concerning Petra and Miss DeLuca, and then Marcus defending Shabnam in a bullying scene, which concerns the giant Ruski Victor. Also a real fun fight scene for racist Brandy, Day of the Dead makeup Maria and Saya against ninjas. And then we get disagreements between between teachers i haven't said it yet but since uh, uh since i actually i haven't said it because i didn't realize it but then i read all the comics um but one of the ways this show is better is that uh it develops the teachers of the deadly arts in the comics the teachers really don't don't have that big a part to play but this uh finds time to develop the teachers it adds a bunch to everything that's going on maria's bipolar disorder is handled masterfully and uh, the end scene between Marcus and Saya and her is straight from the comic pages and so, so good. I actually saw the live action before I read it, and it was great both times. Chester, a.k.a. Fuckface, gets a bit more here and there. And then there's a big reveal for Master Lin that raises a lot of questions. Really another exceptional episode. 
episode seven, Rise Above. So I saw many folks say this episode wasn't as good as previous ones, but I, I really disagree. Not only did it continue the kids of King Dominion trying to keep their Vegas shenanigans from being discovered, but it also was amazing that it made me laugh my face off almost every time the Scorpio Slasher said something. This is one of those moments where we're given more to a teacher. is really, really great. We get more Wes Craig visuals revealing just what happened to Marcus at the boys' home and get much more time with Fuckface and his family of inbred hillbilly killers. Add to that considerations of fate for a lot of the characters and more for Master Lin and his evil sister, Madame Gao. Maria's associations with the cartel confronted center when Chico's daddy shows up menacingly and played wonderfully by David Zayas. Things are spiraling, especially considering Maria's action at the end of the episode, but knowing a lot of the comics, you really have no idea how crazy this really can get. Three more episodes, and I think this may all end with a confrontation with Fuckface. Speaking of confrontations, there is a minor one in this episode, which is really, really fun. Hell yeah for this dark show. Sure, some may worry about the show based on teenage assassins resulting in negative consequences for younger viewers, but parents should have conversations. Uh, with their kids if they're allowing them to watch the various themes in the show. It is a great show, uh, but parents, be good parents. Episode 8, The Clampdown. The show keeps going with goodness with Masters Lin and May needing to find out why students keep disappearing and or dying. Doesn't help that one of the kids' parents is highly connected and very interested. The result is a lockdown where all sorts of different assassin teens are locked together, resulting in all sorts of tension that's equal parts sexy, racist, feuding, and more. There are so many tension-filled interdynamics between all the different kids in the school. Then there's Marcus connecting disparate kids and love triangles and murder and fighting and stabbing and slashing and maybe even a threesome. Seriously, you gotta check it out. James Wong's Lin is much different than the comic, but I dig how they're portraying him and his sister, how the dramas of the teachers is just as important as some of the kids. Marcus is still the central protagonist, but uh, this show is just is just truly wonderful. It's so cool that so many things from the comics are inter interwoven. As I read beyond this story, I found I find dialogue and ideas from all over the comic interwoven into the show. Uh, I revel in how this show adapts its source material. This episode packed in tension, and it's crazy all over the place, complete with a shift fight. If you thought high school was complicated for you in the real world, it is so much worse for these kids, mainly because of all the murderous threats and gang rivalries. Uh, funny to me, this show has all that, but it's still a story about friendships and love. Also gives bonus backstory for a character that you never got to see in the comic, but still animated by Wes Craig, amazingly. Heck yeah, two more episodes to go, and the end of this show promises a, a showdown that I, I've sort of been hoping for. Now moving on to a show that is not so great. I am sorry, Jen, but we turn to Gotham Season 5, Episode 6, 13 Stitches. Yes, being stuck on my butt with a gouty foot means I even caught up with this show. Yes, I hate watching it a lot, but I've watched four seasons... Plus, so dagnabbit, I'm going to finish what I started. Uh, this episode starts with mind-controlled, Terminator-esque Nigma after Gordon, but then it goes all sorts of different. Apparently, the key to stopping assassins made by Hugo Strange is lots of electricity. Gordon, Nigma, and Barbara face off against a special ops commandos working for a mysterious evil lady named Walker. And of course, they succeed. But then the show shocks by returning none other than Lee Tompkins. I had hoped sweet Morena Baccarin had freed herself from this show once and for all, but no dice. 
Uh, after Lucius Fox succeeds in getting the chip out of Ed's noggin, they realize they now have details to take down Eduardo's gang of soldiers and walkers. So bring on the showdown on a rooftop with the only antenna capable of broadcasting Gordon's intel to the outside world. The crap that goes down has Gordon fighting his old pal Eduardo and then Nigma doing his best riddling in the GCPD wearing a bomb suit. And I hate to say it, but it wasn't too shabby. Uh, it, it Probably one of the better episodes of the season. Also sets up Eduardo to maybe becoming Bane and even has him talking about being saved in a hellhole prison, which should make you think of Santa Prisca. There is a wasted B-plot with Penguin, Selena Kyle, and the really not cool magpie. If she said boom boom one more time, I was going to scream. Uh, but this, this, this episode all ends up with Lee revealed as another mind-controlled subject of Stranges, which doesn't even go very well. And then there's a reveal of warning of me really spoiling this episode in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Fair warning, but Barbara being pregnant. Fuck, they were doing so well. But what's next? Secret Twins? Oh, wait. They already did that. But um, like I said, this wasn't the worst episode. There was some good stuff. Uh, Jeremiah not dead kidnaps Alfred. It means there could be a better episode in the future, which doesn't completely screw the pooch at the end. And we shall see on episode 7, Ace Chemicals. And the title should let any lover of Batman know we're going full Joker here. And I'll say right off, I did enjoy this episode with Jeremiah's tunnel plan coming to light and him seriously screwing around with Bruce Wayne. Jarvis Tetch shows back up to allow the writers to hypnotize folks, making certain things make sense. And all in all, it's pretty good. It's uh, too bad a good episode isn't going to turn around uh, the shit show. But, you know, it's good to have a good episode every once in a while. Uh, consider the wasted screen time devoted to baby mama drama between Barbara Lee and Gordon. It's not a perfect episode. But, yes, I do wonder if Barbara's prego with Gordon's future psycho serial killer, James Jr. But that doesn't matter because nothing about this atrocious Batman prequel show really does matter. It exists and someday I will forget about it other than feeling like I got kicked in my geek junk a lot and remembering being mad. But running aside, they did do a good job redoing iconic Batman moments between Joker and Batman in the form of Jeremiah and Bruce. I will try to forget how this stuff happening earlier totally changes future iconography of these two nemeses, but you can see my previous rant about things not mattering. Jeremiah's plan to recreate the murder of the Waynes is good, complete with a Zorro film reenactment and then a nice twist. The episode also thankfully dispenses with the potential Selena and Penguin team-up, offers characters chances for redemption, justice, revenge, and maniacal craziness that all ends at Ace Chemicals. If you don't know how that's going to go down, read a Batman comic, friends. It will be better. Uh, trust me, but with the release of Walker's Intel, there uh, was hope for Gotham to receive some help from the outside world, but this episode manages to release Mad Hatter Joker toxin into the Gotham's water supply and ruin the chances of relief, keeping us firmly in no man's land. Gordon gets smacked and smooched by Lee, not as kinky as it sounds, and Jeremiah dies once again. Man, that guy's died a lot, but he's brain dead. Uh, but he's going to be back, and there's been awful leaked images of his Joker look, so he'll be back. Uh, but the long and short is we finally officially have a Joker in Gotham. Uh, it's kind of sort of the guy we thought. He's like a version of Heath Ledger's Joker trying to become a comic book version of the Joker by becoming Jack Nicholson Napier version of the Joker, but also connected to the Killing Joke Joker, who wants to be classic? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. It is confusing to me too, friends. Hopefully, the return of Jeremiah in the future marks more good episodes, uh, because that is certainly not the case with episode eight. 
Nothing Shocking. Seriously, listen to that title. Nothing Shocking. Well, I get it, writers. You wanted me to be shocked by Scarface and Killer Croc showing up in this episode. And yes, you semi-succeeded. Also, Jane Doe and Connection to Bullock's Pass. Okay, I'm not mad at a dance slot creation being used in Gotham. But basically, three different new villains appearing in the show. All used to do a filler episode where I just shake my head and go along with it. Yes, I like the gumshoe detective stuff and the Bullock-centric story, and uh, I'll forgive Penguin's lackey Albert being alive and showing up with Scarface, the puppet dummy, because yes, it is dumb dummy, but also silly and wonderful. Then I think the whole Bruce Wayne and Gordon in the sewers of Gotham was supposed to be about Killer Croc, but not really. Even if it wasn't, that's what it made me think of, and it was fine. Just fine. But Bullock is actually good in this episode. Jane Doe is done differently, but is tragic and does work. Uh, did I mention fucking Scarface and the ventriloquists were brought to life in Gotham? Man, do I feel like a dummy for for sneering at it. But then, but then, like, what the hell? Why not in this show? It, it's funny that uh, that Penguin keeps calling his major Domo Arnold since that's the name of the real ventriloquist. And I just think this this sparked some of my kid nostalgia since I first remember Scarface from Batman the Animated Series. I thought I thought he was silly and ridiculous back then. I still think he's silly and ridiculous. But this whole mess of an episode was just it was fun filler that was stupid but fun. And if you like Harvey Bullock in the show, and I actually do, it's not too bad provided you roll with the fun fillerness of it all. Now I just hope the Bane and Future Joker stuff is is better, better, and also not shabby. Uh, but now on to a show I really do like, The Gifted, season two, episode fourteen calamity so jace turner is a dick especially in his radicalized working for the purifiers form and now he's leading a group of xenophobic assholes against the morlocks on their sewer home turf interesting that this intel comes straight from reva then her circle this episode is really all about this conflict and the mutant underground comes to rescue uh some but but before you think the good guys don't have casualties that is certainly not the case in this episode ergen blink get heroic moments Johnny Thunderbird has some future emotional issues to deal with. Then there's the Inner Circle trying to figure out who hacked into their system, leading to some tense moments for Polaris that results in a surprising death at the hands of superpowered Reva. Also just nice to see the Cuckoo Sisters working together. It's a good episode with emotional stakes, and like I said, Chase Turner being a dick. Seriously, dude, stop shooting at kids and families just because they're different than you. I promise you've killed enough mutants to make up for the death of your daughter. I promise. Next episode, episode 15, Monsters. This keeps the story going. The Morlocks needed to be rescued, but that means Lauren and Caitlin Strucker are in danger throughout this placeholder for the season finale. Reed and Marcos get away from the cots much easier, but need to rescue the rest of their paltry underground. Uh, to do this, Reed needs to come to terms with his powers, and like Reed said, Marcos has pretty cool powers that can help as well. The moments between Caitlin and Lauren in an abandoned factory work really well. Meanwhile, Lauren is on her, her way out from the evil mutant organization. She realizes it doing the right things to create a mutant homeworld. She's going to try to take Andy Strucker with her. Lots of melodrama in this episode. And it does all work. And by the end, I'm just smiling and ready for the, the shit that's sure to go down in the finale. And speaking of... We'll finish off by talking about the season 2 finale. Episode 16, Omens. 
it's good I really liked it it wraps up this whole thing nicely with an ending that leaves me with lots of questions but also lots of options for the show if it doesn't get picked up for a third season it's not certain whether they're gonna get a third season or not but if it doesn't happen I'm not mad at how this season ended basically we basically we know the showdowns between the purifiers me and underground and inner circle I had to go down and go down they do then there's the Cuckoos controlling Lauren and Andy Strucker, which you know is going to have devastating consequences for anyone their combined power is aimed at. The scenes set down throughout this season with Esme finally pay off. Uh, there's a final showdown between Marcos, Marcos, Polaris, Reed, Caitlin, uh, and then there's a final sacrifice, which is really, really good and uh, and hits the right emotional beats. The show is set up for more if they're lucky enough to get more, but it also closes up everything that was going down. Everything really pays off. The cinematography of the episode was really nice with some cool as hell shots. The show was such a pleasure to watch, and while I want more, time is going to tell whether the whole Disney Kasumi Fox stuff and their own plans for using the X-Men in the future of their Marvel Empire will have room for The Gifted. All I can say is that the second season of The Gifted was good television. If you like the X-Men, uh, this will fill that need, and surprisingly so, since it includes very few characters from the X-Men that you probably know of. But it is good stuff. Moving on to The Flash, Season 5, Episode 15. You guys already know I caught up on Flash on a previous episode, but there was a new one, and uh, I watched it. King Shark vs. Gorilla Grodd. Do I need to say more beyond the title of this episode? It's freaking King Shark and Gorilla Grodd, and it's wonderful. This episode cost a ton of money in the digital effects realm, and even when I could see that they focused on some effects more than others, I was on board throughout this. This is the kind of episode which is perfect filler. There was stuff that needed to be fleshed out for Cisco's Medicare, and uh, this was, in my opinion, the perfect way to do it, but also let a Flash geek like me exclaim and smile. Also, just great to see Jesse L. Martin back. I'll agree the whole side plot for him and Iris was, was honestly filler, but I did miss his character, and I liked seeing the father-daughter bonding that also explains away why he was gone for so long. I even liked the whole love story angle for King Shark, but maybe I'm just a forgiving fan. What won't disappoint in this episode is exactly what's in the title. A prison break gorilla versus a giant were-shark of sorts. Solid gold, and I love this so much. Now let's just get back to Cicada, and the preview of the next episode teases just that, as well as connections to the whole secrets of Nora Allen stuff. Woo to the who, I like this episode. Even better, I got to watch it with Heather. Even better, at Gorilla Grodd and fucking King Shark. And uh, next up, my catch-up of Arrow. So Arrow, Season 7, Episode 10, My Name is Emiko Queen. The title of this episode really says a lot. And if you wanted some more info for Oliver's uh, half-sister, this episode is going to provide it. All he has to deal with the reveal of his copycat being an example of more indiscretion from his father. I dig Renee's wild dog working with Emiko and how the show uses past Arrow stuff and flashback to fill us in on the backstory. The motives of Emiko's vigilanteism is also fleshed out well beyond her connection to her infamous bro. I uh, like the comparisons between them, including a nice joke about putting an arrow through Renee's leg. Then the whole comparison between the siblings and the entire revenge versus redemption stuff for two angry queens is good. And I, I just reheard that last sentence, and I love how it could be taken in two different ways. Uh, take it the hooded, angry green archer way if you're wondering. But uh, in this episode, I like Ollie working with SCPD as a deputized arrow. Uh, the episode also has stuff for Lila and Diggle with Diaz and a revived ghost initiative, a.k.a. the Suicide Squad. Uh, there's the whole terrorist financier Dante plot to be dealt with after all. 
And uh, the flash forwards are also good here with Old Man Renee, Dinah, Roy, William, and Zoe, and more for the plan to bomb Star City in the future. I dug it. This was a good return for the show after the mid-season break. And I am into where the show is going. Episode 11 called Past Sins. David Ramsey, a.k.a. John Diggle, makes his directorial debut in an episode of the show that is put food in his mouth and and it's a, it's a pretty good episode arrow ends up dealing more with his past courtesy of the bodyguard his father killed when he was just a carefree rich playboy before purgatory island it works it makes oliver deal with how he wants the city to see him it also results in some good relationship moments for him and felicity and then there's a few good moments for ollie and his newfound sister ollie's arc is all transparency guilt and redemption but Stephen amell is always a joy to watch. My favorite stuff in this episode involved Curtis getting some spotlight working with Argus's new suicide, or I mean ghost initiative that brings Diaz, Cupid, China, White, and Little Slade into the fray, complete with head bombs. But the weird question of why DCTV can't name drop the actual team they obviously are being set up to be. I like using old baddies, but what I really loved is how Curtis uses his genius to get info while working on their head exploders. I will not spoil the goodness of it all, but it has a couple shocking moments. Speaking of shocking... I forgot the bad guy literally uses electricity, which was weird. Uh, anywho, Laurel also gets some more story regarding her redemption as Star City's district attorney, but also reminding us of her villainous past on Earth, too. Uh, this episode wraps up succinctly and probably could have been excluded... Uh, uh, the, at least the last part with Laurel, but maybe not since it does have good moments with her and Felicity, plus the name drop of Cisco. Now to figure out how this mystery uh, has, there's like mysterious notes that are appearing in the episode uh, is, is going to play out in the future. Uh, no flash forwards here, but somehow that felt right. I like that the show knows when to use the flash forwards and when to abstain from them. I dug this episode about confronting choices, both old and new, and Arrow is much better this season so far. Uh, episode 12 12, Emerald Archer. Wow, so was this a fun episode? They use the idea of a documentary being made about Oliver, um, and using that, the show gets to bring in lots of characters from past seasons of the show, including Barry Allen, which made me smile so hard. It's got all the shaky cam, all up Blair Witch and Cloverfield, but also the shots we've come to expect so we don't get sick. So many Easter eggs. This is a really lovely episode. Action in the show is always good, and now they found a new way to show awesome action. Also a villain using Wayne Tech, and uh, that was not the only mention of Gotham in this episode. Just when you think you know who is after vigilantes like Laurel and Dinah, you find out, nope, there's more reveals to come beyond a baddie named by Curtis, complete with another Cisco name drop, which did make me chuckle. Good stuff for William back from boarding school in the middle of everything else, as well as a great John Diggle and Ollie moment about Team Arrow. Spoiler, I guess, but if you miss Team Arrow, this episode won't disappoint. Also, more for Renee and Emiko Queen, and all in all, I was super impressed how this show found a way to move forward all the different stories but also provide just the right touch of fan service this was the 150th episode of the show and it hit all the right notes i think barry allen sums it up nicely quote oliver is an interesting guy unbelievably damaged he's lived through a lot of darkness all he cares about is making sure no one else has to end quote i won't say any more about this episode other than watch it it is really dang good for anyone fearing the episode abandons the flash forward once more it is tagged uh, there is a flash forward tagged at the end uh, that would not have fit all the documentary loveliness so uh uh, it uh, it leaves a, the flash forward does leave a big question to be fulfilled in future episodes and speaking of we'll head to episode 13 star city slayer 
Rutrow, the threatening notes continue, and it seems that the mystery typer has their eyes set on Dinah. William's expulsion from prep school leads to much more drama for Papa Ollie and Mama Felicity that plays out over the episode. The deputized Team Arrow, meanwhile, is keen on tracking down the note leaving Homicidal Maniac with tie to, ties to Dinah's time in Central City. So yay for Captain Singh from The Flash making an appearance. I love when these shows' universes are tied together. This episode also has lots more flash forward with Black's uh black star rory william and zoe and wowza for the reveal of the guy working with black star plus another big reveal i sort of saw coming but still thought was very interesting that bit ends up at the end of the episode uh there's some really cool horror movie vibes in the current timeline and the reveal of the star city slayer made me kick myself for threads that have been set up in previous episodes kudos to the writers for that the baddie is all sorts of crazy, but overall it is a lot of, a lot of fun to watch. Curtis Tech gets to save the day, at least uh, in one current life-threatening situation, because there's more than one in this episode. Uh, but are we really losing his loveliness on the show? No! Don't go! But before that makes me sad, everything this episode, and really in the show, is always about Ollie, because the show is named after him, and the end is creeptastic, with some lovely heart to finish everything off good stuff next up episode 14 brothers and sisters so the entire argus going after a super terrorist named dante stuff using a renewed ghost initiative is finally wrapped up in a way but also tying into future threats for star city additionally oliver and emiko queen work on their sibling relationship involving her mission to avenge her mother then ollie and felicity also work on their relationship including the big new surprise for both of them while this is all going on the flash forwards are interwoven really nice uh nothing huge happens on that end until no until a reveal at the end which is nostalgically rad in a non-technology sense. The best of this episode is in relationship stuff and then real growth for Oliver and John Diggle. I also dig that Dia stuff seems to finally be concluded. I like the villain, but now we have a new one to contend with in Dante, who ended up much cooler than I expected with some really interesting new information that brings lots of questions to my mind. I also like seeing the Suicide Squad in action, if only for a little bit. And yes, I did mention the show never officially called them that, but whatever. It was a Suicide Squad. It was fun. Uh, what I didn't like is uh, something that happened with their brain bombs, which I thought was cheap writing. But, oh well, this wasn't the best episode, but it had lots of good nuggets to keep me wanting more. And and overall, I did enjoy it. Now on to Supergirl Season 4, Episode 12, Menagerie. It's Valentine's Day in National City, and it brings us yet another really good episode of the show. The villain this week comes in the form of a snake-like alien that symbiotes with a host and then does all sorts of snaky goodness. It is funny since we also learn that Brainy loves Raiders of the Lost Ark and also shares Indiana Jones phobia. Plenty of romantical stuff and candy for characters, but this isn't all just awkward romance for Brainy and Naya Nayal. It's also chock full of family stuff. Kara's still dealing with her sister has been necessarily mind wiped, which means more bonding for her, John, and Naya. Sons of Liberty are back and causing trouble with their xenophobia. Ben Lockwood's son is now involved, and then there's a whole bunch of political stuff. No, don't think Star Wars prequels, but the show is continuing with how America is dealing with their alien issues. Not a good thing when an alien... Uh, ends up uh, showing up and 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 causing havoc for uh, for humans, including uh, taking over a human host and murdering not just humans but someone involved with alien affairs. I guess that's a spoiler, but not really. 
There's some character stuff for Alex, which is good for her, but at the same time, heartbreaking for her super sister. Big developments for Lena Luthor's research and an interested American government that leads to strife with her and James Olsen. And I really wonder uh, what Lena was running from, and uh, I look forward to more reveals there. And speaking of reveals, finally, Dreamer. All in all, this was a good episode. Not the best, but I did enjoy it. Episode 13, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way? Supergirl, oh yeah. I, I know some won't care, but it's not lost on me that it's been been like three seasons since episode 14 of season one was titled Truth, Justice, and the American Way. No real connection between this episode and that one about imprisoning Maxwell Lord and whether that was right. But I like when things work together in interconnected ways that are accidental. In this episode... Ben Lockwood, a.k.a. Asshole Agent of Liberty, is free and clear because the president sucks. And what does that mean for the world? Well, man, who, who cares for an episode since we get to see Supergirl, Brainy, Dreamer, Alex, and Martin Manhunter, Martian Manhunter go up against Manchester Black, Menagerie, Hat, and Amorai. While this episode had some clunky CW dialogue, it was chock full of of weird allegories to Moses, the KKK, and Michelle Obama's going high when others go low. It did have a ton of kick-ass fight sequences and even found a way to go into space. It also finally found a way to get Alex Danvers connected to the super side of her sister, even if she doesn't remember that they are the same person. Add to that, Brainy and Calix hating on each other for funny reasons, and I hope to see more of it. The Fortress of Solitude is a set piece. And like I said, awesome fight sequences. This was such a fun episode. Ben Lockwood does figure in a little bit, especially because now he's a little too all for the the other right, right-sided people of his fellow xenophobe assholes. But it cannot be good for the world how everything keeps looking out for this man of privilege and i think the next episode is going to include some of that stuff all in all though this episode with manchester black's elite was uh, really great and thankfully they saved the elite for future showdowns the president was the real villain of this episode when all was said and done but you'll have to watch for that to make sense while james olsen isn't in the episode a ton i did like the continuation of his connection to lena luther's research uh and his work at catco and then uh lena luther's research with uh with uh um with uh, with <laughs> my brain went crazy lena luther's like uh, research to give humans powers is also right there front and center with her working in the deo uh with with miss Tessmacher. so watch this episode enjoy friends uh and if you're on the fence maybe you didn't hear me say supergirl in space so moving on with all the catch-up black lightning season two episode 10 uh the book of rebellion chapter three angelitos negros so full transparency i have not been liking black lightning as much as the first season but i did still find the time to catch up on it thankfully this episode finally ended the khalil and jennifer on the run story has some sweet moments for them and then there's a real touching moment for uh her mom lynn which thankfully also brought her into some action instead of just crying at home best parts of this episode is tobias whale some great jazz music including a monologue about its merits and tobias's new khalil and todd the hacker the assassin cutter gets some time here but there's uh, an aftermath to actions that we never see her do which probably had to do with budgets and left me a little unsatisfied but does show that she's a badass uh the sum total is khalil agrees to turn himself in on the advice of a Jefferson Pierce who forgets when his whole whole life purpose was keeping young black men out of jail 
Uh, and then Black, Lightning, and Thunder oversee Khalil, turning himself in, but then somehow don't follow the convoy, which winds up decimated by Cutter and leads to an ending for Khalil that makes even my back hurt. Wowza, that was bloody, but but it was a good ending for the episode, which was part boring, part lazy storytelling, and then part good. Uh, we will see where the show goes beyond the meh. Points to the Khalil ending stuff, I suppose. Also, a really cool shot of Black Lightning searching for his kiddo in a warehouse. And really, that that Lynn speech to an empty rail yard was oh so good. I'm probably being a little too hard on the show. Uh, bonus tease with no follow-through. Masters of Disaster. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I might mention that in future episodes. Let's see. Episode 11, Book of Seekers, Chapter 1, Prodigal Son. So the show has to deal with what happened to Khalil. And that's basically what this episode is all about. Death, lots of death here, friends. Frankly, I was surprised by some of the deaths that happened, and uh, I give this show points for raising stakes. Tobias is a bad mamma jamma, and whenever he's on screen, I am riveted. I can say that since I played the episode while typing other things, I, I know it is has good moments when my ADD self is pulled away from typing. There's good new stuff for villainous Dr. Jace, who is more deeply connected to everything, including Tobias, and I like all the tech gimmickry that Todd is capable of. I also really like the Detective Henderson and Gamby stuff. Uh, the show made a smart choice to get Henderson more deeply involved, uh, but with all the death now in the show, I do worry for him. Also, any use of Jen's powers, especially towards a racist white lady, is going to be good. I want more for her, and this episode uh, does progress her character where we might see more in the future. Last little thing to say, the mention of Markovia's meta program. <laughs> what in the what? Wow. Uh, this episode did find a way to, to be sad, but also bring Tobias into even more power, and it was a much stronger episode. Episode 12, The Book of Secrets, Chapter 2. Uh, just and unjust. Uh, in the show, there is no time to be sad and mourn characters uh, because the stakes are ramping up with not just a mention of Markovia in the last episode, but actual Markovian agents showing up in Freeland with a vested interest in the mystery metas that Tobias Whale has gotten access to. Uh, this spells interesting stuff for Dr. Helga Jace, who is wanted by both the ASA and Tobias for meta research. show also finally lets Grace and Anissa have some moments. It even gives us a bit more for what's up with Grace. There's also a classic Anissa Rock. Robin Hood in the hood uh, scene, which is something that I missed. I do like seeing her kick butt against thugs. Jennifer is back in school dealing with her emotions, which thankfully includes sessions with super therapist Nichelle, who also has her own moment involving Markovians. I think what I like most about this episode is Jennifer and Jefferson dealing with stuff in Garfield High. Please more here dealing with Jefferson caring for kids and talking about minority issues and the dangers of white privilege. It is what made this show great last season. I do want more of it. Uh, and this episode was so good at the end. A really fun episode, finally taking the story forward for characters and plot. Episode 13, The Book of Secrets, Chapter 3, Pillar of Fire. Uh, what do you do in an episode that picks up from the reveal that Tobias has four convicted murderer, homicidal, psychopathic metas in his basement? Uh, but give an episode to thicken the Markovia plot. The first master of disaster is unleashed with all his vibrational evil, which you know can't be good since he is controlled by Tobias. The Pierce sisters get more bonding time and each strikes out on their own in their own way. Anissa is sluicing out what's going on with her missing girlfriend Grace, and Jen is still working on her powers and her own tale of vengeance. Seriously, Jen is really good in this episode. 
Lynn, meanwhile, deals with ASA, who wants to move the pod kids, while Markovia seeks them for a super soldier program, and Tobias has his own plans. While this all weaves together, I am just stoked that Jefferson Pierce is back at teaching at Garfield and dealing with the principal, who has no business being in charge. Shouldn't get too excited, though, since it looks like we won't see much more of that in the future. Jeff really does go a different route than you may expect, and maybe that's a takeaway from this season. Uh, it, it's a shakedown, and not just because that's uh, the code name of the the master disaster bad guy. Once again, Mr. Well gets what he wants. Things aren't looking good for the sort of members of the Pierce family, but it's all done in the best episode of the four that I've watched so far, and I'm on board to see how it goes down in the future. Episode 14, The Book of Secrets, Chapter 4, Original Sin. So you've heard me sort of be down on the show at points, but they did finally bring an episode which had me all sorts of happy. The return of Lala, a.k.a. Octavius, a.k.a. the Tattooed Man, uh, is here, and there's a bunch of stuff and a bunch of time spent with him and Jefferson Pierce being a teacher at Garfield High, and it's real good. Also more details about what's going on with Lala, besides that Anissa searching after mysteriously disappeared girlfriend Grace, which is really good stuff, gives us a good fight scene, and also more mystery about powered people and future goodness for the relationship. Jen is finally getting a Gamby made super suit, and while the whole stuff there is silly, it's fun silly. Uh, Lynn's research with the pod kids also takes some new turns. Odell in the ASA is a dick for sure, but he does make every scene he is in a good one. Not so good that he knows certain information, but it will make for interestingness in the future. All in all, I felt that the show has been disjointed at points, especially lately, but it seems they're finally getting around to linking threads, giving us good story. Also, probably just me liking Lala being back in the episode, and uh, not just because uh, that's what I call a roommate of mine who's neither tattooed or a man, <laughs> but I did like this episode. And that's saying something since uh, Tobias Whale was nowhere in it and he is usually my favorite in scenes of late. But we're almost caught up with all the television friends. Oh, one more show to talk about. Star Wars Resistance, Episode 13, Dangerous Business. So, uh, I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Dangerous Business. So, these reviews are probably going to be short as the episodes are also short. Uh, good news about 22 minutes for an episode is fast consumption that can easily suck a portion of your life away. I'm going to be honest, Star Wars Resistance is still in silly kid mode for me, but I do enjoy watching it with the consideration that nothing I see is really pivotal in the Star Wars universe. It's just a portion of the First Order's plan and one Resistance spy trying to do his part. Um, his part in this episode is covering Flix and Orca's part shop while they're away. In the process, he has to protect their stock from a seedy Katerian alien named Taraj Key, and also uh, keep his fingers safe from a bitey Gorg with the on-the-nose name of Bitey. BB-8 gets moments of awesome droidness, and then everything escalates quickly when Key wants a face connector from the shop. Ends big with Kaz literally hijacking a ship that ties in the First Order, and presumably drilling cores of planets that must be connected to the First Order and Starkiller base. You know it's not going to end well? And then there's a bunch of slapstickiness in the episode, uh, but also some info for the First Order. <laughs> it was sort of a, a meh episode, but fun, I suppose. Not the the best start to the second half of the season, but uh, but uh, 
whatever. The third third act action was fun. Next up, episode 14, The Doza Dilemma. This episode finally puts the story of Sonara, the pirate spy, into full gear, brings things to a head regarding whether Captain Doza is going to capitulate to the First Order's offer to protect the Colossus, bring on twists and turns, and pirates trying to kidnap Doza's daughter, Tora. Also, a lovely, friendly bonding moment for Tora, Kaz, Sonara, and Tam. Lots of explodey, fighty goodness in Kaz and Sonara trying to keep Tora from being taken. And then the episode involves them, the aces, Kaz and the fireball, and then the pirates of course i think i was just stoked for all the aliens i saw in this episode it's easy just to get me excited with the sight of a weak way pirate anywho there's fighters and blasting in action cast heroics and also a bit more buggles if you like torah doza's weird alien dog thing i did dig the design of the pirate ship in this episode there's a shot of it coming out of the fog which is cool uh, I am into the animation style now that I'm used to it. The twist at the end of this episode will mean lots of bad stuff for the denizens of the Colossus in the future. Captain Doza has been one of those characters you want to dislike, but also understand in a way. And uh, being manipulated by the First Order does at least make him an anti-hero of sorts. Plus you get that most of his actions are to keep his kids safe. Episode 14 was a good episode. Episode 15, the First Order Occupation. I think the title sums up the atmosphere on the Colossus now. Doza's agreed to protection after the events of the last episode. Now there's stormtroopers keeping the quote-unquote peace for everyone. Not a ton, but we do learn there's more troopers coming. This, of course, isn't good news for Pirates by Sonara. Now that Kaz knows what's up with her, this episode is all about him helping her escape. The show is finally about resistance, and I dig it. I like Kaz helping a friend, even if she's not technically a good guy. Romantic tension, a la a kid's show, and then Niku gets some time. Even a backstory regarding First Order Evil and his grandmother. Niku is a weird character, but he's so honest and joyful, I can't dislike him, even if he is a character that's often used just for convenience sake. I'm sure you know how it all has to end, but when you get there, you'll be especially happy if you enjoyed the giant sea monster from the Bebo episode. And I, I actually was surprised by the very ending. Uh, by where where Sonara goes, where I thought she would, but I hope I hope she comes back at some point. Uh, was not too shabby an episode. There was some solid character interactions. Episode sixteen, the new trooper. If you remember those orphan kids, Kel and Ayla. Well, the writers do too, but things go bonker when they're found by a stormtrooper without their identification papers. Yes, the First Order is actively policing the residents of the Colossus. Uh, the First Order is seen in shades of gray as Kaz, Niku, and Tam all feel differently about the occupation. Tam's backstory gets some info, and even Jaeger chimes in with his Imperial experiences. The point of this episode is rescuing the kids, also bonking a trooper repeatedly over the head, which is immensely satisfying. Also nice to see the Colossus citizens none too happy with their occupiers if you wanted to see kaz in stormtrooper armor and somehow goofily succeeded as spy duties this episode has all that too all in all it's good i don't know where it pushes the story along other to get kaz more intel and develop some of the other characters especially tam but it's fine episode 17 the core problem the planet core no that's not not where it's going but uh it was only a matter of time before poe dameron had to come back to get bb8 to go with him to jakku uh and we finally got to that point after 17 episodes timelines can't be avoided but overall i just sort of dislike this episode which should have been so much better Poe somehow sneaks onto a lockdown colossus where no one can get off and the only escape pod has previously been used but Whatever. Then Kaz and Poe are off to explore the Outer Rim based off Kaz's intel and use some really wild plan to get off. And <coughs> never mind my head shaking at the fireball, which has been shown over and over to barely fly, always be at risk of exploding. Now as a hyperdrive capable of be keeping beat with an X-Wing. 
<sighs> what they find is more mystery that doesn't serve to explain anything about the First Order or Starkiller base, but I think it was supposed to. Uh, we know that the First Order is capable of mass destruction now, um, and whatever planet got wrecked had children that liked little Twilight dolls. I, I don't know. Post says he learned something, so I guess that's good. Like I said, the point of this episode was to swap BB-8 for CB-23, who is uh, the pink rolly droid seen previously who is now uh, Kaz's companion on the show. I think the episode title was apt since the core problem of this show is not all episodes are great. And sometimes I do just want to quit. But uh, this <coughs> show, fortunately, is not as bad as Gotham. Uh, but it is really kitty. And sometimes I wonder why I should be invested in it. But it's Star Wars and I, I like it. So obviously I, I didn't watch eight episodes and then I caught up. But uh, hello, CB23. Welcome to the show. Uh, which is nearing its end, but not headed anywhere other than curfews and control by the First Order. In episode 18, The Disappeared, you did hear me just be hard on this show, and then they remind me why I've been watching. I'd hoped the later episodes would finally get somewhere, and here we go. We had to know the First Order occupation would not go well for the inhabitants of the Colossus, and especially not for a resistance spy. There's propaganda and Captain Pyre stopping air races, which results in both hype phase on and antsy disappearing. Uh, the divisive opinions of Kaz and Tam are explored more with Niku in the goofy, lovable middle, and at least the show has finally get around to uh, the First Order being bad, disappearing people, and then the recruitment propaganda does a good job of showing their bad side also. Kaz and Tora investigate it all. And the end result is a rescue mission of sorts, which is fun with much more of our heroes succeeding by dumb luck. There's a mention of Tokodana, and maybe that will play out in the future. No clue, but the end cliffhanger is not so bueno for Team Fireball. And that cliffhanger does play out in episode 19, Descent. Uh, things are going all bad for Niku, Kaz, Jaeger, and Tam. Definitely bad for poor Bucket who I haven't really talked about, but love seeing as an astromech without a outer shell. And you may remember me talking about, we don't know who voices Bucket, but I enjoy Bucket. Uh, Kaz has a plan to deal with the First Order and get help, but it is crazy and wonderful, and despite its outlandishness, works on some level. Also, the people around Kaz, not in the know, learn much more about his backstory and current plans and have different opinions when they find out. Uh, it's interesting that this device is used to differing methods with Tam and Niku. I don't think I mentioned it, but I do like CB23 in the show replacing BB-8 because all you really needed is a plucky and resourceful rolly droid. Doesn't matter whether they're pink or orange. There's a new First Order officer showing up named Tierney working against the gang and manipulating Tam with her versions of the truth. The pace of this whole episode was very brisk and the third act is just another well done third act in a series of episodes one thing you can count on with resistance is even if the episode starts slow you can count on it to pick up in the third act kaz and jaeger need to get a message out to the resistance and the lengths they'll go to to do that is why this episode is called descent it is quite literal but i do try not to spoil everything about episodes yes danny i try to talk in cursory ways about things and leave enjoyment for others i trust the listeners skip if they haven't seen an episode of the show and really want me I want to keep from me messing anything up. But anywho, there is a response from the resistance, and it's not what people expect, but it's all set up uh, for what's inevitably going to go down in the final two episodes. I liked where this went. I appreciate the show being willing to not have every character be on the same page. I expect it all is going to end wildly with lots of characters returning and can only root for the good guys to defeat the First Order's occupation of the Colossus. But friends... That is that. That is uh, me catching up on all the all the TV courtesy of Gao. I actually had every intention 
to uh, to talk some comics. I had a whole bunch of comics that I wanted to talk about, but by golly, we're almost at an hour and a half, and I don't really want a two-hour episode. Uh, so so stay tuned. There there are lots of comics that I have read, and I want to talk about uh, a couple different trades and issues of Captain America and issues of Weapon X and man, so many comics, and then uh, trades of Deadly Class. And uh, I read Flashpoint recently, and then there's what I think there's like 38 comics that that I've actually read, like assorted comics that I haven't even written notes about. And then uh, I'm trying to think, what is it? So there's the the four trades of Deadly Class that I read, Saga the Swamp Thing, and then there yeah, there's a stack of 40 comics that I have read. Uh, and I had to find it in my notes where I put everything like dumb dumb you need to talk about these 40 comics and there's 38 comics actually it's probably more like 60 at this point because I just picked up my local trade there's a couple trades there so the long and short is there's a comic palooza probably happening in the future sometime uh, and yeah sorry I just uh, want to keep these episodes short and uh, it's 312 and I do gotta jump in the shower to go to work so uh Friends, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for being classy. Hopefully, uh, all the news and television was worth it. I really, really do appreciate you coming and listening. It's still, to me, crazy. 134 episodes of uh, of the podcast. And, and some of them, this isn't the first one, actually, brought to you by Gout. Uh, but uh, it's the first one with a big old history lesson about gout at the beginning. The Wookiee with the disease of of kings, which makes me the fuzzy king. So all hail the fuzzy king, me. But all hail you, the fuzzy listeners, you. Thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for being classy. You know the drill. LaughItUpFuzzball.net is the website that hosts the podcast. Uh, LaughItUpFuzzballPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to send an email, there's LaughItUpFuzzball's Facebook group where you can uh, definitely talk to other like-minded geeks. There's so much funny stuff that's been on there lately. Man, I love all the people that that put stuff on there. Um, At WookieRiot, that's Wookie with two E's on Twitter and Instagram. I do try to be on those places, but I'm not on there as much as some others. I'm an old man when it comes to the social media. Uh, And yeah, so there we go. Another episode down and coming out uh, probably i'm off at 11 30 tonight so it's probably going to be really 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 early sunday morning since i don't think i have time to post this before i have to head off to work but hey thanks for stopping by thanks for being classy much love from the wookie and uh yeah i'll catch you later ttfn wookie out